Hello, my friends. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's a joy to be able to serve you with these podcasts. This is Life Over Coffee, and then I think we all know by now that I'm no longer doing your daily drive podcast. That that podcast, we put a lid on it. It is closed. All of those podcasts are still available. Uh, hopefully, they'll be in the archive forever. And so if you have an article, if you read an article on our website that has a Your Daily Drive podcast, it will always be there. And so you can listen to those archive podcasts as often as you want. Any article that I write from this point forward, uh, they will go in the Life Over Coffee box. And so the simplest way to think about this is we had two boxes for like five or six years. We had a Your Daily Dry box and a Life Over Coffee box. Now we just have one. And so whatever the podcast is, whether it's an article or an interview or an episode like this one here, they're all in the same box. They're all on the same network. And so I trust that you'll subscribe and that you'll, if you do, if you subscribe to uh, Life Over Coffee, then whatever type of podcast I put out that comes out of the Life Over Coffee box, you won't miss it. So go on your phone or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to Life Over Coffee, and then you will catch everything and you won't miss anything. This is episode 314, 314, and it's the best way to find this episode right now because I don't have a title for it. This one's really fresh. It really it flows out of a conversation that we have been having in our mastermind rooms on our on our website. We have forums on our website for our mastermind students. I call them rooms. There are three of those forums and we have we have some rich conversations about all things training, counseling, discipleship, working through issues and so forth. And recently, one of the students asked me, what is descriptive psychology? The question that the student asked was part of a larger discussion that we are having. I'm not going to share with you in this podcast what that discussion is about, but I did want to pull this aspect of that discussion out and do a podcast on it because it deserves a podcast and it's something that that all of us need to think about and so I will give it a title eventually once I wrap this up uh, but because it's so fresh in my mind I wanted to get it on audio as soon as possible. And so this is episode 314, the titleless episode at this point. But the question is, what is descriptive psychology is what one of our mastermind students uh, asked me. And that's a big term. And there's no way that you could talk about descriptive psychology sufficiently in a a 30-minute audio podcast uh, because there have been thousands of books and white papers and documents and other literature developed on this subject. It's been around for for decades. And so let me give you a very basic uh, definition of descriptive psychology, recognizing that this is truly an elemental way of thinking about it. But for us, uh, it will be beneficial. And again, this applies to every one of you because you know people and you have people 
coming to you and they're sharing their problems with you and and you want to understand you know how to help them and for those of you who do uh, counseling or high-end discipleship this is super imperative for you as well and so descriptive psychology defined in an elemental way is the science of understanding a person and their problem and the key word that I'm going to focus on here is is understanding. Descriptive psychology is the science of understanding. You're being able to describe psychology. Psychologos is is understanding the soul, and so you're describing psychology. You're describing the soul. You're understanding a person and their problem. And so descriptive psychology, defined in an elemental way, is the science of understanding a person and their problem, including all the interrelated parts, aspects, behaviors, hidden idolatries, and complicating factors. If you want to do counseling or discipleship well, then it is a comprehensive endeavor. It's not a superficial endeavor. It takes a lot of work. And honestly, there's only a there's not as many people who can do this as you might imagine. Everyone that has a degree in counseling is not necessarily a good counselor. Uh, just like any other field there is. I mean, there are people who do it well, and there are people who do it not so well, and we have to come to terms with that. Everybody that has a certification in biblical counseling does not do what I'm going to lay out for you well, and that's why it's imperative that we understand what good counseling is. And so I'm coming at it in this podcast, episode 314, by talking about this idea of descriptive psychology psychology or understanding a person and their problem in the most comprehensive way. And so when I talk about understanding a person, there are six points that I want to make that will help you to get a fuller picture of what it means to truly help someone in a significant way. The most basic way of discipling them, point number one, as far as descriptive psychology is concerned, is just understanding the person, understanding what they are saying to you, meaning they share with you their problem, what their situation, whatever it may be, and let's say you translate it into another language and they read it and they say, yeah, that's exactly what I said, you understand me. That is the most basic way to help someone, but, but also this is the most dangerous because if all you can do is reflect back to them what they said to you, uh, then that, that's not the kind of counselor that you want to go to. And some people will be satisfied with that. And you'll hear it sometimes with people where they will say, I went to counseling, I shared my deal with them, and, and they, they understood me. And I felt so understood. And many times they're talking about in a very limited way, as I'm describing here. The person understood what they were saying, and they could translate it back to them. 
But descriptive psychology, where you describe what is going on in the soul of a person, it has to be way more comprehensive than that. And so point number one of six things is understanding the person, just understanding at a very superficial level what they are sharing with you. Number two is understanding what the individual does not perceive about their problem. Now, every parent understands this. Uh, your child comes to you, your four-year-old, he's crying about something, and, and he tells you through tears what's going on, and you understand him, point number one. You understand what he's telling you. But because you are the adult in the room, you also understand that there's more to this than what he's telling you because you have peripheral vision, what we don't want to do is counsel or listen to people like we're looking through a straw, where we just we're looking in, in such a tight way that all we can do, all we can hear is what they're saying to us. Yes, we have to understand them and hear what they are saying to us, but we have to have peripheral vision if we're going to help them. And a good parent has peripheral vision. They hear what the kid is saying, they're looking through a straw, but then they also see the macro as well. They know this child. They understand how things work in relationships when trouble happens to a four-year-old. And so they can perceive things that the child can't perceive. And that's the kind of person that you want to help you. You know, it kind of reminds you of Hebrews 4, verse 13, that God knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. God perceives more about our problems than we do. And we want to imitate that in a lesser way, of course. We're not omniscient. But we want to imitate that as image bearers. We want to have a broader spectrum of understanding if you truly want to help a person. And so point number one is understanding the person. Point number two is understanding that person, understanding the things that that person does not perceive about the situation. And point number three, understanding the other side of the story. Whenever there's a relational dust-up, with two people, two or more people, there's always another side of the story. Proverbs is very clear about that, and we want to keep that in view because if you want to understand the person in the most thorough way, then you have to understand that there's another side of the story in relational issues. It doesn't mean that you don't believe the person. Some people get stuck at this point and they think you have to be all in and believe them 100% or if you don't believe them 100% then you don't believe them at all and they can't hold discernment and and belief charity but love believes all things they can't hold discernment and charity uh, in, in the same hand at the same time but there's no problem with that you love this person you believe what they're saying but you also have discernment you realize there's another side of the story. And if you want to help them, if you truly want to describe what is going on in their lives, then you have to you have to discern, you have to recognize that there is another side of the story. And then number four, uh, you want to listen at two levels. And so as a person is talking to you, you're hearing what they're saying to you on the behavioral level. And that's the most basic way, as I've been describing, of understanding a person. But you're also listening at a heart level as well. 
because Jesus said that our words generate from our hearts. Our words do not start on our tongue and go out our mouths. Our words start in our hearts, and then they come up and go out of our mouths. And so you want to listen at those two levels. This is what the person is telling me, but what is the cause? What is the source? What is going on at the level of a person's heart? For example, in James 4, it talks about anger and the cause of anger. Well, anger is what comes out of the mouth, but James says there's a lower level. I see the anger. I hear the anger. That's the upper level. That's above ground. But below ground, there is a source. There's a cause, as James says. And of course, he he identifies. It's desires. You you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And if you don't listen at those two levels, you, you will only counsel behaviorally, and you truly won't understand the person. And then number five, you have to have the ability to reclarify all that they're saying with a biblical her- hermeneutic. Hermeneutic Biblical hermeneutic is the science of biblical interpretation. Hermeneutic is is a way of interpreting data. And, of course, biblical hermeneutic, we interpret the data through a biblical filter. And so you take all that is being said and you run it through the Bible filter, a sufficiency of Scripture worldview we have, and it comes out on the other side of that filter, and you have a pure understanding of all that they said to you, and you're able to describe the problem in ways that they could not have thought of because you're doing more than just listening to them. And so the five points thus far are understanding the person. What are they saying? Number two, understanding what the person does not perceive because you have peripheral peripheral vision. Number three, you understand the other side of the story because you have discernment. Number four, you're listening at, at two levels because you understand the duality of our behaviors that they generate in our hearts. Number five, you have the ability to reclarify with a biblical hermeneutic because you have a sufficiency of Scripture worldview and, and you run all this data through that filter so that you can truly interpret it in the most accurate way. And then number six, to understand them well is you restate all that data that came through that filter in a concise way, a clear way, an accurate way, and a comprehensive way. Now you're telling them what is going on based on all this data and great questions that you have asked. And so you communicate to them in a concise way. You don't want to give them a a a uh, massive data dump because they won't be able to retain it. That's why I say concise. You want to be concise. You want to be clear. Of course, you want to be accurate, and you want to be comprehensive. Now, those four words you need to think about for a while. Uh, it's not easy to do as you might imagine, but these are six ways to six ways that. I am describing descriptive psychology, understanding a person and their problem and presenting it back to them. You have to do more than just listen to them and restate what they said to you. Let me give you a case study. 
and then I'll give you a, a bad counseling approach, and then I'll give you a, a better counseling approach. Here's the case study. Uh, Mabel struggles with anxiety in response to Biff's actions. That's the case study. Okay, Mabel struggles with anxiety in response to Biff's actions. Here's a bad counseling model. The counselor listens to the story and restates all that Mabel said to the counselor about what Biff did, and Mabel feels heard. And then Mabel goes to her friends and, and shares that counseling experience. I, I shared, he listened, he understood that is, well, it's, it's awful counseling. It's, it's potentially dangerous counseling because the counselor, if he or she is any good, knows that, okay, if Mabel stays in that condition of anxiety, you got to do more than just hear what she says to you. You've got to have peripheral vision, and you know that if she stays in that position for too long, she's going to become a, a victim. A victim is vicariously, what it means is vicariously carrying, this, carrying sin for an extended period of time, whether it's your sin or somebody else's sin. In this case, Biff sinned against Mabel, and, and the counselor's got to, he's got to get inside that and dig deep and find out uh, what is going on, uh, not just in Biff's life. Yes, Biff needs help. He needs counseling. He, he needs to repent. He needs to so forth and so on. But in this case, I'm talking specifically, in a vacuum here, I'm talking specifically about Mabel because this is what happens in poor counseling situations so often when there is a victim. And in this case, Mabel is the victim uh, of Biff's actions, and she's struggling with anxiety, and so the counselor needs to do more than just listen to her and parrot back what she said and, and go beyond just making her feel good because she feels heard. And in a bad counseling situation like this, what you'll typically get is the counselor will give her a few verses, maybe a book to read, and then maybe it'll be part of their Facebook group for victims for whatever happened to Mabel. And so now Mabel has a community of people where they can, you know, talk about these things and she stays in her victimization because the counselor has not done, he only did one thing of these six points that I laid out earlier. He understood her to where he could repeat it back to her. A better counseling model would look like this. The counselor listens to her story. He draws out what happened how she thinks about it because she's struggling in her thoughts, right? Uh, she's struggling with anxiety, ongoing anxiety because of Biff's actions. She's truly been hurt, but now uh, she's been run over by the, the truck, and now she's carrying the weight of, of that, and so the counselor wants to get inside of her thinking and draw out what happened to her and how she's thinking about this situation, and there's so much more. I mean, he wants to delve into their relationship. 
Uh, he wants to get into the shaping influences of both Biff and Mabel and try to understand the the pre-marriage dynamics in their lives and, and now the marriage dynamic and the patterns that have been in place that led to this thing that, that Biff did. Uh, he wants to assess more into Mabel's thought patterns. He wants to get underneath the words that she is saying, two-level thinking I was talking about. Let me give you a few illustrations of some possibilities of some of the things that may be going on in, in Mabel's mind. Uh, for example, she could have a formulaic relationship with God. Uh, many people do this. I've seen this so much in counseling. What I mean by this is, is I, I had a formulaic relationship with God, even though I did not know it. And if you asked me about it, I, I, I would have denied it. What I mean is this. I'm doing all these things for you, Lord, and then something bad happens. That's a formulaic relationship with God. And, and though if I took a theology test and you ask me, uh, do bad things happen to people who are living for the Lord? Well, the answer is obviously yes. The scriptures are full of people who were doing good things for the Lord, but bad things happen to them. Joseph, for example, Jesus, for example. But sometimes we can fall into the trap of having a formulaic relationship with God. And if we do have that relationship and something bad happens to us and now we're under the weight of oppressive anxiety, well, you want to get inside Mabel's thinking, inside her mind and see if, if she has that kind of, of thinking. And then she'll deny it. You know, let's say she denies it as I would deny it. Or if I took the theology exam, I, I know how to answer the question is that bad things do happen to people who are trying to do right. But on a practical, functional level, when bad stuff happened to me, I was frustrated with God because I actually thought all that I'm doing, I mean, I'm trying to serve you and this is what you do. I mean, this is the problem with Job, right? I mean, this was the, 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 the accusation that Satan made about Job. He's only doing it for the good things that you're doing for him. And so let's say in my case study, as you dig into Mabel's life, you find out she has a formulaic relationship with God. You, you got to get down to that level. Perhaps she struggles with regret. I mean, why did I marry this person? I mean, I'm trying to live my life the right way, and and now, you know, I got Biff. I get Biff of all the desires uh, that I had about marriage and potential for my future, and I end up with Biff, so now she's struggling with regret. Perhaps she has a weak view of suffering. Uh, not understanding that God does sometimes bring hardships into our lives for our sanctification, which is what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9, that this affliction came to us because God was teaching us to rely on ourselves, uh, not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on him who raises the dead. Maybe she struggles with self-reliance. Uh, perhaps she struggles with self-righteousness. If she has been living for the Lord and her husband is a knucklehead, that there would be a temptation to look down on him. Well, you think you're going to be able to help them through their marriage if one of them has a self-righteous attitude toward the other? It could be that she, she doesn't learn how to stave off the temptation to victimization. 
you know, a lot of that would be on the counselor because the counselor did not, uh, he did not understand her at the depth that he needed to understand her. Now, of course, I'm doing a case study here on Mabel, and I get it. Uh, Biff has his own issues, and he needs a similar kind of comprehensive care, too. What I'm describing to you here is most counselors can't do this. They can't. This is a this is a gift that God gives to certain people to be able to counsel at this level. It takes skill. It takes insight. It takes biblical expansiveness as far as understanding the Scripture. Most counselors, they can just restate in another way what the person said to them. The counselee feels heard. They feel understood, and that is dangerous counseling. In worst cases, the counselee will give the counselor authority to prescribe solutions to them. You see, if people want to be understood so much, so badly, they want to be understood. And if a counselor can come along and describe what is going on in their life, paint a picture for them of this is your life. This is your life. And it's accurate. And they paint that picture. And the counselee just wants somebody to validate them, just wants somebody to affirm them. Well, then the counselee, there will be a strong urge for them to accept whatever solutions that this counselor offers. And there are a lot of people who can paint that picture. They can describe what's going on in the individual's life, and counselees will give them the authority to help them. And unfortunately, the counselor doesn't have the ability to bring solutions to the individual. And so there's two other aspects to this episode, this nameless episode 314 that I want to touch on before I close. One of them is the idea of courage. And what I mean by that, it takes a lot of courage to understand someone the right way. I mean, what I've been describing throughout this podcast if you truly understand someone the right way, it takes a lot of courage to be able to communicate them to them effectively. Parents fall into this ditch all the time. They know that what their child is doing is wrong, but they don't have the courage. I'm talking about when children are young, particularly younger, when they're particularly once once they get older, you know, the parents, they, there's not much that they can do at that point. But when children are younger, and let, let's say they want ice cream. I want ice cream. I don't want to eat beans or whatever, to use a simple illustration. And the parent knows that this child needs to eat healthy. The parent knows that you want to create good habits in this child. The parent knows what the right answer is, but the parent doesn't have courage. That's what I'm talking about. And a counselor that doesn't have courage to get down into Mabel's thinking at a granular level, assuming that the counselor has the insight to go that deep and to understand things at that level, but they don't have the courage to talk about those things, then they keep that counselee entrapped. 
And when I talk about courage, I, I want to attach compassion to it at the same time because having courage doesn't have anything to do with being harsh and unkind. But sometimes there are difficult truths that you have to communicate, and if you do not have the courage to communicate with compassion what needs to be said, then you will create those bad habits in that child. And they, they won't eat healthy. And you will set them up for failure because of a lack of courage, even though you did have more expansive information. And so there's two key aspects here at the end. One is courage, and the other is self-esteem. This goes in another direction. I want to talk about the counselee now. There are many adverse side effects from the self-esteem movement. One is the misunderstanding and, and misapplication of being heard. I've heard this all my counseling life where people talk about wanting to be heard, wanting to be understood. And I, I get that, but there is a problem here because many times when the person wants to be heard, they just want to be validated. They want to be affirmed. Now, that is essential, but that is a very base level of understanding a person. And you want to make sure, you want them to know that you know what they're going through. But if you just stay in that realm, there's a high element of esteeming ourselves most of all. And sometimes counselors don't have courage, and so they they make sure that the person is heard. The person feels heard, feel validated, and, and they they esteem themselves uh, they esteem themselves so much that they can only think about what they are going through uh, but they don't have anybody to move them farther along because the counselor doesn't have the courage to help them to esteem god more than themselves and if you esteem god more than yourself then you will be willing to hear things that ordinarily you would not want to hear if the folks that came to Jesus only heard what they wanted to hear, it would have proven disastrous. Esteeming God more than ourselves positions us to hear the whole story, assuming the counselor has the character and the competence and the compassion and the courage to provide a fuller understanding of what is happening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.